During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. That intro just gets you going on a Monday, everybody. Of course, I'm Tim Geddes, and I am joined today on this beautiful, illustrious, kind of funny Games Daily with making his first appearance on the show, in the studio, his first appearance in person in over three years. Yes. Imran, the Don Con. Howdy. Woo. Woo. It it feels nostalgic in a weird way. It's weird to be nostalgic for a thing that's like a couple of years old. And also in a studio I've been in like recently is like two weeks ago yeah <laughs> yeah but like it, so it's a weird thing you know, the thing with pavlov's dog is you know that right of like he went upstairs and they started salivating because they knew like food was coming mm-hmm. i used to do games daily from the old studio then walk over to the nearby mall and like get a sandwich and stuff like that and like i sat down here and i'm like oh man i could, I could go over that sandwich right <laughs> yeah. now like the mall's nowhere near here i'm not gonna walk over like i could drive theoretically but i'm not gonna do that but like it's still that same feeling of getting behind this desk and like, yeah, this is Games Daily. I still do the Games Daily thing after this. You deserve your sandwich. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I love that. I'm so happy to have you here today to talk about all of the video game news that you need to know. Of course, we do this live every weekday on twitch.tv slash kindoffunnygames and youtube.com slash kindoffunnygames. If you want to get it as a podcast, search your favorite podcast service for Kind of Funny Games Daily, and we'll be right there for you. If you want to get the show ad-free, though, and if you want to support the channel, going above and beyond you got to go to patreon.com slash kind of funny games just like our patreon producer delaney twining has done we appreciate you so very very much uh today's stories include game pass cannibalizing sales a super super dope super mario brothers movie commercial and more um we have some housekeeping for you huge news everybody Magic Mike's Last Dance in review is up right now. I know people have been clamoring, asking when is it going to exist? When is it going to happen? Well, hey, you can now watch or listen to that at your leisure on youtube.com slash kind of funny. Is it an absolutely fantastic episode? Yes. It is the, is it the deepest analysis of Magic Mike's Last Dance you're going to get in the world? Yes. Do you see pictures of Joey when she was young with a mullet? Yes. Yes, you do. And that is not a lie. So go check out that episode. And also, if you missed it, Barrett and I did a trailer breakdown of the second Zelda Tears of the Kingdom trailer from last week's Direct. You can check that out over on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games. We go on for 50 minutes breaking down um, a bunch of crackpot theories that Barrett has. And I'm going to be honest with you. I believe him. I think he's on to something. What, what do you think, Imran? I think, like, so I watched the entire 50 minutes. I just sat there like... I was like, oh, I'll watch for a few minutes. I'm going to skim around and be like that. But Barrett kept making very compelling, but also increasingly conspiratorial, like, theories. I'm like, no, there's no way. This is, Nintendo's not going to do that. And I'm like, yeah, maybe they might. They, they, they're hiding so much with this. And I think Barrett might be onto something thinking, okay, they're clearly hiding something big. Yeah. Yeah. Like a death. family you're gonna have to go check out that video though today we're brought to you by shady raisin honey but i'll tell you all about that later for now let's begin with what is and forever will be the roper report it's time for some news we have six stories today a baker's dozen and normally the smoke goes off here but we walked in today and something smelled a little burned and i was like hmm that's not how that's supposed to smell, so we're going to put those guys on pause for, for a little bit. Uh, story number one, Dead Space was the best-selling new game in the U.S. in January 2023. This comes from Matt Perslow at IGN. I do appreciate that they even need to say new game, yes. which is a funny thing talking about a remake, but I guess technically it is true. Yes. Uh, the latest figures from the MPD group revealed that Dead Space is the best-selling new video game in the U.S. in January. The well-received remake of the 2008 survival horror was kept away from the top spot by Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Ah, that's why. That's why they had (laughs) Mm -hmm. to clarify, Uh, which enjoys its fourth consecutive month as the best-selling game in the U.S. 
Dead Space was joined in the top 20 bestsellers by three other new games, Fire Emblem Engage coming in at number five, Forspoken at number seven, and One Piece Odyssey at number nine. While there were four new releases among the top 10, U.S. consumer spending on video game software, hardware, and accessories dropped year over year by 5%, according to NPD's Matt Piscatella. Not everything was done was down, however. The Last of Us Part 1, the PS5 remake of Naughty Dog's celebrated survival horror, saw a leap in chart position. I wonder why. Uh, it was fueled in part by the popularity of the new HBO show. It rose from number 36 to number 11. Yes, that's like a 90%. Like, that's a pretty huge jump. That is absolutely wild. Uh, the full rankings for January 2023's top 20 best-selling premium games in the U.S. are, and I got to be honest with you, this list is Weird. Let's <laughs> look at it, all right? Number one, and digital sales not included. That's an important thing to know. Uh, digital sales are not included for certain games. Okay. So for most of these, yes. For Fire Emblem Engage, Mario Kart, Nintendo. Pretty much won. Nintendo. Yes. Yeah. So Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2 at number one. Number two, Dead Space. Number three, Madden. Number four, FIFA. Number five, Fire Emblem. Mm. Number six, Elden Ring. Number seven, Forspoken. Eight, God of War Ragnarok. Nine, One Piece Odyssey. Ten, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, mm. which... We'll talk about that a little bit more. Like, it's a, surprise me. That's a pretty, I would say, significant drop mm. in a month to month there. But hey, digital sales not included. Right. Uh, Last of Us Part 1 coming in at 11. Sonic Frontiers, bless. What's up? At number 12. Monster Hunter Rise. Mario Kart 8 continues to dominate at number 14. Minecraft at 15. Need for Speed Unbound at 16. Shout out to the EA. Getting it right yeah. there a little bit. Uh, Just Dance 2023 at 17. And NBA 2K23 at 18, Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales at 19, NHL 23 at 20. Imran, what picture does this paint for you? So one, it paints that January is kind of a weak month to launch a new game. Or, like, not weak. It, you would probably do pretty well if you had a good effort, uh, strong AAA game in January, as EA has proved with Dead Space. They're, they don't give us exact numbers here, but we can at least see it charted pretty high. Uh, for me, the, the story here is Forspoken. Like, Forspoken, obviously a console exclusive, so it's not going to dominate the charts, unlike like Dead Space, which is on multiple consoles and platforms. Uh, but also, Fire Emblem Engage is a <laughs> console exclusive that did better, and did better on one console, did better on, like, with the roughly the same audience, I would say, of, like, people who kind of like JRPG anime sort of thing. I think that thing has... For the amount of money Square put on it or put towards it, I think it just did not do well. I think uh, for me, the uh, overall picture for January is if you're going to put out a good game, make sure that like it is a critically reviewed great game and that's going to drive sales more than like a high marketing budget yeah i mean it is i think very interesting to look at the critical reception of some of the newer games that came out this month uh and how high they 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 are on the charts here and looking at fire emblem engage which did review really well mm -hmm. fire emblem has seen a a major resurgence i don't even know if resurgence is the right word like for the last decade at this point the west has shown a lot of love to fire emblem yeah. um since uh, awakening really on the 3ds was kind of the the major breakthrough moment for it there was a couple games before in america but they were uh much 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 smaller titles awakening kind of made fire emblem a household nintendo yeah. ip and three houses sold about three million copies i think in the first year and more or less life or left to date uh which is incredible yeah that's incredible for that series engage i don't think it's gonna hit that i don't no. think it'll hit three million i think like it did it reviewed great it just reviewed worse than three houses which i don't agree with honestly i think yeah i, mean, I think engage go, is off, a better go game. off for a little bit because we haven't really had anybody uh go too deep on engage i i didn't really vibe with it too much so mm -hmm. i'm making my way through very slowly uh but what are, what are your thoughts on it i think tactically in terms of map design in terms of like battle design in terms of even like the optional skirmish and stuff like that that game just runs circles around three houses. Like three houses, I I love that game for a lot of reasons. Mostly characters, mostly stories, mostly music. But the actual map design was: here's your army, here's the enemy army, here's like a big wide open space. Figure it Go. out. Yeah. And this one, it's we've designed maps. These are the gimmicks of this map. These this is like where the enemy army will spawn. There's like one one chapter uh, fairly deep into the game where it's just you. And the armies of six bosses, and the bosses just come for you in the like, no matter what you're doing awesome. in the map. And that's super cool. That is a good, as a very good, uh, hearkening back to them because it's the anniversary game, starting back to old Fire Emblem maps in a really cool way. The story is paper thin. Yeah. Like, paper thin to the point where the last five chapters or so, they really decide, oh, we're really going to put the story in. And there's a lot more story at the end. Not all of it's good, 
but it is like a lot of it. And I think you, if you took the the three houses writers and the engaged gameplay people and put them together, you would have probably the best Fire Emblem game in ages. But I, I think a lot of people came to this one looking for story, which just does not have, and I can kind of understand the sixes and stuff like that for that, but if it were me, I would give this game like a solid eight. Like, uh-huh. tactically, I put 60 hours in this game and loved almost every minute of it. Yeah, the, the story is the thing for me where when it comes to Fire Emblem, like, I love the gameplay so much, but yeah. it needs to be backed up with characters that I am invested in, and that's why the permadeath means so much, where yeah. it's like, I want to stress. I want to care so much about losing a character that it matters to me, then I will reset the game, that I, I'm not going to play the casual mode, that I'm into this, and I feel like with Engage with so far where I'm at, I'm like, it feels like the anniversary game. It does feel like a greatest hits as opposed to trying to do its own thing and tell a new story, and that's always been my favorite thing is the, the political intrigue and drama of the three houses having the three houses or even like path radiance which is my favorite yes. of the the fire emblem games like the the racism in that game the way that they deal with with um the the different groups i think is so well done and it makes you care and it makes the the tactical gameplay feel backed up by meaning something not just like oh these are units that are expendable it's like no these are people that i am invested in so like there's the emblems in that game where like they they're the old fire emblem characters like you have ike you have uh micaiah and like you go to their they have certain stages where you max out their bond and when you go to them they like explain what happened in that stage for you and you go to it's like this story is way more interesting than what i'm doing i would have loved to go back and do like ike versus micaiah where he's trying to save her life by like defeating her army but she needs to dispel a curse and like that's actually way cooler than what's actually happening and i i understand i think maybe they thought three houses like broke the audience brain a little bit by introducing like actual politics and gray gray situations into the the western audience but it didn't i think it rose or raised the the bar a little bit and gay doesn't meet that bar quite yeah quite enough Uh, But coming in number five, though, impressive for a franchise like Fire Emblem that, again, is never going to be expected to be number one on a list like this. And even in a a January month that, yeah, the number one is Modern Warfare 2, number three and four, Madden and FIFA. It's kind of like, uh, all right, cool. This is a not a down month, but just kind of like it is what it is. Right. Um, But to, to look at Pokemon Scarlet and Violet coming in number 10. I am a little surprised by that, especially in the last couple of weeks covering Nintendo's uh, financials that they put out um, with how incredibly well scarlet and violet sold and we know that um this much of a drop-off i'm a little surprised but again it doesn't count digital do you think that that is the defining factor here so nintendo said in their most recent quarterly earnings that pokemon scarlet violet did better digital than any previous pokemon game period so we can't assume that there's like a pretty significant portion of people that did buy that game digitally uh I would also say, like, January sales are weird because you have to assume anyone who really wanted a game that did not come out in January probably bought it in December. Or if they bought a console for a game, they bought that console with the game. Pokemon is going to be one of those games that probably you buy a console with. So I, I could see a physical drop-off very easily for that game. I could also see, like, if you include digital sales, probably closer to, like, 6, 7, maybe closer to 5. But, like... We're they were saying 20 million in December. That's even if that's a huge drop off at 10, they're probably like it's. I would not be shocked if it was one of the higher things this month. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Any other things you want to note here? Uh, Mario Kart 8 still hanging on, which is very funny. Uh, good for One Piece Odyssey to be like top 10 is. For an anime game from Bandai Namco, which usually do not rank that high, like you would get the Dragon Balls up there, you would maybe get a my hero academia one if those games were any good maybe uh but you usually don't see one piece that high and it probably could have been higher if one piece is a bigger series in america it's not but this game was again fairly well acclaimed in reviews like sevens and eights for a again anime game that makes it i think one of the bigger successes from Bandai namco that's not from software in the last year Hmm. which is Good. And Good for them. Like a game that's only uh, uh, with Japanese voice acting and stuff yeah. like that. Like yeah. that's pretty impressive. Just a lot of board. Uh, a lot of people. Imran wanted to come aboard and bring along their hopes and dreams. You know, and that's just what <laughs> I love. I love seeing. That. I kind of wonder. Like, so we, like the Last of Us did better this month, obviously because of the TV show, which is when you think about it, very smart of them to put that remake out like months before, so it could just pick that bump up later. I wonder if the Netflix series of One Piece. Let's say that's not a huge fucking mess, which. It, 
probably will be. But let's say it's not. Let's say it is actually incredibly popular. Would that like start picking up the the games like One Piece Odyssey and such? I doubt it because I think that like the games based on anime is it's like such a it, it's a different form of of media compared to like Last of Us, which is a video game. Whereas this is already a video game based on the anime. So if we're talking about the Netflix show bringing people, it just I feel like there's too many layers of translation for yeah. it to demonstrably actually affect the the sales or like the amount of people playing, but. Yeah, we don't have a good like sense of or good precedent for that yet because I feel like there would ha- in the age of digital distribution, it is much easier to go on the PSN and type One Piece and see what pops up than it was to oh, a movie came out years later, a Dragon Ball movie or whatever. I'm gonna go to the store and see like what GameStop has for use, and they may not have the Dragon Ball game you want. So it is possible, I think, to see a slight uptick. Yeah. I don't think it's ever going to be that dramatic. And I think the other factor that you already kind of alluded to here, but it there's a, a level of quality necessary for the new experience to yes. get people to go back to other things. Like the HBO Last of Us show is incredible. So people are like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go play that game um, either for the first time or like so many of my friends again. Like mm-hmm. so many of my like close uh, friends that I grew up with are texting me like, Damn man, you got any hookups on Last of Us? I'm like, I don't, bro. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> like, like they're they're buying it to replay, um, and that makes sense. We look at The Witcher, same thing, yeah. super quality. Cyberpunk, the anime was high quality, so Edge Runners was great. So, um, that all makes sense. I, I feel like the the faith in the the One Piece. They yeah. need to prove prove us wrong on that one. <laughs> that I I don't think that thing will be good, but we'll see. I I have high hopes that they understand what they're working with. You know, so speaking of Last of Us here at number, where was it? 11. Mm. I'm a little surprised. Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales at 19. Like, I know 19, we're getting real down on the list, so it's not, like, that wild. But I do think it's impressive that that just shows the legs that these Sony titles have and how the power of Spider-Man, right? Like, like the Spider-Man, especially with Spider-Man 2 coming out uh, later in the year, it's like there's something about the sellability of spider-man and when you add that to the high level of quality game that we expect from insomniac like yeah you're gonna get titles that just kind of sit here in the the sales charts for a long time it is something that is usually that's a nintendo thing Mm. you know i think actually this is gonna be very interesting for the ps5 specifically because we're getting to a point where those things are readily available you can find them i have not heard a lot of people like who tried to get one for christmas that were just not able to so People are finding them now. You were getting more PS5s in homes, which means the older PS5 games that people didn't buy, they're just going to buy now because yeah. you can buy Miles Morales for relatively cheap. I'm sure it was on some PSN sale in recent mm-hmm. times. Like, if, you're, if you just bought a PS5 and you're thinking, well, what can I buy to bolster my new experience now that I finally got my hands on one of these things? Miles Morales is an obvious choice. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, move on to story number two here. Uh, continuing with video game sales conversation microsoft confirms game pass cannibalizes sales this comes from brendan sinclair at gamesindustry.biz uh which let, let's just get it out there this headline it's a spicy one's gonna piss people off all right <laughs> so hey, of course we're gonna handle it with some nuance okay uh the uk competition and markets authorities provisional report on the microsoft activision blizzard acquisition that's a lot of words includes an admission from microsoft that putting games into its game pass subscription service cannibalizes sales of those titles i love these motherfuckers are just saying whatever the fuck they want at this point <laughs> for this stupid legal battle Quote, Microsoft also submitted that its internal analysis shows a redacted percent decline in base game sales 12 months following their addition on Game Pass. Uh, That confirmation runs counter to claims Xbox head Phil Spencer made in 2018. The Game Pass boosts sales rather than undermines them. Quote, when you put a game like Forza Horizon 4 on Game Pass, you instantly have more players of the game, which is actually leading to more sales of the game, Spencer said, adding, you say, well, isn't everyone just going to subscribe for $10 and go play this thing? But no, gamers find things to play based on what everyone else is playing. Uh, Elsewhere in the CMA's report, it cites Microsoft as saying that Activision took a dim view on putting its titles into multi-game subscription services on any platform, believing that severely severely cannibalized B2P buy-to-play sales, particularly in the case of newer releases. So, the thing about the acquisition, especially this part of the acquisition, where CMA is actively saying we have concerns, and Microsoft is trying to downplay those concerns, it's like a dude who's in a relationship and keeps saying, I'm not good enough for you, I'm not good enough for you. And, like, at some point that becomes annoying. Like, it's like, this is... They are not wrong. But also, Phil Spencer was not wrong when he was saying Game Pass also boosts sales. They're, they're, They're correct to say there's 
essentially two types of people who go on the Game Pass. Those who are thinking, this is such a great deal, I never have to buy another game again. And those who are thinking, oh, this game is really cool, I don't want this to ever leave Game Pass. If it does, I'm going to buy it. Or... I've, all my friends are playing Forza Horizon. I don't particularly want to subscribe to a thing just for one game. I'll buy that game. All those things can be true. I do think that we do kind of underplay how much Game Pass does cannibalize sales. And I think a lot of uh, companies are aware of that. Uh, there are publishers out there who their marketing strategy assumes they will just sell games for X amount of months. Then they will take the Game Pass deal and take that money because the game is done selling. Because at that point, once it's on Game Pass, it's never going to sell again. It's people are going to pay the ten bucks, and Microsoft's going to hand over the check to the publisher, and bingo, bango, that's that's the life cycle of that game. Uh, I think for Microsoft specifically, it is a different uh, different calculation for them because they they are getting money directly. This is their first party mm-hmm. product. This is their uh, first party service. They have a different calculation uh, in terms of MAUs and how those like affect what they're willing to put into something and how much money they're willing to put in something. For third parties, the calculation is different and they are far more worried about the cannibalization sales. So I think this is probably an, an, a thing they wanted to avoid admitting because it does look bad in terms of getting Game Pass deals. But for them themselves, for Microsoft themselves, it does not matter that much. It can cannibalize all the sales of Halo period, as long as they're getting those Game Pass numbers up, that's the main thing they're looking for right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've said this a million times now, but like, we're not supposed to be getting this information, right. hearing any of this. Like, These things are being said to fight a war that we have no part in. Yeah. <laughs> and we just get to, to sit here and kind of talk about it all. I think that there's a lot of important things to bring up here. One being that like you said, these don't necessarily contradict each other, especially yeah. given the the fact that we're talking about Forza Horizon 4, 2018 claims from uh, from Phil over there. It's like things change in, in a couple of years. Like, I don't know if you guys knew, but there was some crazy stuff that happened after 2018. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that looking at this, it's like talking about there's a redacted percent decline in base sales. We don't know what that is. It could be so small, you know, <laughs> and they could just be using that as an argument against the the Sony side of things um, with with how Sony's coming at them. Uh, so all this makes sense, and it kind of just feels like a, a silly thing to talk about, but yet here we are for the upteenth time this year yeah. talking about it all. It, it is good, I think, for people to know that these things are not always, like, 100% good or 100% bad. Yeah. There are shades of gray in these, and, like... You look at a game like Hi-Fi Rush, I think Hi-Fi Rush would have sold pretty well if they just made it for sale only. So, that was my second thing I want to bring up. Hi-Fi Rush, not in the top 20. Now, is that surprising in any way, shape, or form? Obviously, it being on Game Pass was um, essentially the entire marketing plan of this thing. Of just like, hey, get it now. It's on Game Pass, right? But um, to not hit the top 20 when we were talking about a month that was a little bit slower... I'm blanking right now. When did Hi-Fi Rush actually come out? Was that like, will we see that in February be that was showing up? Twenty sixth, right? All right. So then, yeah, probably it won't be till February. So it's not a surprise that it's not here. Yeah, it's not shocking. I, I also don't necessarily expect it. I do think most people just did download the game on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. I'm someone who likes owning games, and even then, I'm like, I'm just downloading Game Pass. Like there, there were times where I got codes for games. And I was like, I don't need this code. I will just download the game on Game Pass. Because that is just, it's more convenient. It is also people think I'm subscribing to this thing anyway. I'm just might as well get the money out of it that I'm paying into it. Like it is. It did so well on Steam too, though, uh, for like the first week. But yeah, like who knows if that was enough to really break into anything on top of, yeah, Xbox uh, Game Pass stuff, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. like Steam, Steam sales are probably a decent contingent. I don't think it's probably enough to break in maybe the top 20 probably not the top 10 uh but also again microsoft doesn't care like that they the hi-fi rush being a game pass success story is enough of a thing for them oh for sure and a critical success story too like they know that they they have something special on their hands that's which is why they released it the way that they did yeah um but like i feel like this is one of the first times in years we're probably gonna see an Xbox Game Studio title in the Game of the Year conversation. Yeah, I think so too. Like, that's really, really special and and so, so nice that we can finally do that, especially a game that I feel like speaks to people that might consider themselves more Nintendo players or more PlayStation players, and it speaks to the Xbox fan base that's playing it. Like, Hi-Fi Rush is is utterly fantastic. If you asked me if the the soul of 2005-era Capcom would come out through Xbox Game Studios, I'd say you're crazy. Yeah. 
Like, I get, like, uh, the through line makes sense. Like, you have Mikami going over to doing his own thing, and then people who, like, grew up on those games going to work for the people who made those games back in the day and making games that were like the, the Capcom 5 and the Beautiful Jet, like, that sort of thing. And I, that, that excites me that there are people who are, as, I say this as somebody in game development, so I don't know why I'm thinking of it, like, aspirationally. People who are like me uh, going and making video games that were like what they grew up with and loved when they were teenagers. Yeah. Absolutely, man. It's it's. I'm still like a little over halfway through, and I'm just having a damn blast. Then I don't want it to end, Imran. It gets better as it goes. It's that's the best thing about it. Yeah. Literally, every single hour is better than the last. Yeah. I, I've never I, experienced a game quite like that. I will warn you, Tim. Yeah. There will be a post high fi rush depression. Oh <laughs> and, no. And that's, that's where I've been the last couple of weeks, where I'm like, nothing's hitting for me right now, mm. and it's because nothing is high fi rush. So that's where I'm at personally. I, so just just to warn you. I am wow. playing another action game that I can't talk about because it's a review period game, Ooh. but I keep trying to like play the game in a rhythm that does not make sense. Because <laughs> I'm like, tap, tap, tap. I'm like, I could just keep tapping faster and I could actually attack faster, but I, I'm screwing myself because I want to play it like Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah. Oh, what a game. Uh, speaking of utterly fantastic games, I have a story I want to talk about, but I'm going to do that after a word from our sponsors. Shout out to Shady Rays for sponsoring this episode. Look how cool I look. You too can look this cool. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and so much more. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. They'll also provide 10 meals to fight hunger in America with every order and have donated over 20 million meals to date. That's fantastic. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back exclusively for y'all listeners and watchers right now. Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. You can go to ShadyRays.com and use code KINDAFUNNY for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself. These are five star rated by over 200,000 people. Again, that's shadyrays.com use the code kinda funny shout out to honey for sponsoring this episode honey is the easy way to save when shopping on your iphone or computer and thanks to honey manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past and we all know there's nothing better than the feeling of saving money honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart when you check out the honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons you wait a few seconds you see the fun little dancing guy honey searches for coupons and it finds you the best ones and then you just watch the prices drop we here at kind of funny have been using honey for years and it's helped us save thousands on tech costumes food you name it honestly i just love how easy it is to just set and forget and save that's the best part honey doesn't just work on desktops it works on your phone too you just activate it on safari on your phone you save on the go if you don't already have honey you could be straight up missing out you can get paypal honey for free at joinhoney.com slash kind of funny that's joinhoney.com slash kind of funny if you're an athlete you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down after all a team is only as good as its weakest link so you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Story number three, the original Metroid Prime devs criticize Remaster for omitting credits. This comes from Chris Scullion at BGC. Developers who were originally involved in the making of Metroid Prime have criticized this month's remaster for omitting them from its credits. Uh, Zoid Kirsch, who was a senior gameplay engineer on Metroid Prime and Prime 2 on the GameCube, tweeted his disappointment that the original staff aren't listed in the credits of Metroid Prime Remastered, which was released last week. Rather than listing everyone who worked on the original game, Remastered's credits simply include a single screen that says, based on the work of Metroid Prime, original Nintendo GameCube, and Wii version development staff. Kirsch wrote, while many studios did amazing work on the remaster, I'm let down Metroid Prime's remaster does not include the full original game credits. I work with so many amazing people on the game and everyone's name should be included in the remaster, not just a single card like this. He, then, he was then backed up by Jack Matthews, who is a technical lead engineer on Metroid Prime 1 and 2 and a principal engineer on Metroid Prime 3. 
This is a travesty, not just for my credit, even though most of my code was probably replaced, but for people whose code and work are largely unchanged, like Mark H.H., Steve McCree, and all of the up-res art and concepts, the game design, shameful. The issue of properly crediting developers in video games is an ongoing one with numerous companies criticized for not giving proper credits to creators with no real regulation beyond International Game Developers Association, IDGA, guidelines, which aren't enforceable. Uh, Game developers are effectively at the mercy of their employers as to how, where, or if they're credited. Yeah, Standardize this shit. It should not be difficult. Anybody that worked on stuff should just get credit. Just have a little white name on a big black wall. <laughs> just have it go up. Come on. It's so this has been a thing for a very long time. I remember back when uh Okami got HD remastered. They they replaced the entire credit sequence, which is like a movie file in the original, because it was like a, a vocal theme over like a, the wolf running over like a painted background. It was very nice, but they replaced it all, all with like the the HD remaster staff. And like people were mad. Mostly because that original credit sequence was very nice looking, not because of the, the removal of the credits. But I played, I finished uh, Pikmin 3 Deluxe recently. It did this exact same thing. It said, based on the, the work of the original staff of Pikmin 3, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's just what Nintendo thinks works mm-hmm. for this. Like, it's their policy to just do that. I feel like what you should do is you should just have a video of the original credits, have that play first. Then do the credits that you have for, like, all the people. Who cares if they're longer? And, like, that's it. Like, just play the original. I, I guess their Nintendo policy maybe is some people leave, some people don't do that. Like, they don't, they're not in the, or they're on special thanks or whatever. But just do the original thing. That's all you have to do. It is, I could do that in less than an afternoon of adding, like, taping those credits and inserting them into the thing. Yeah. Yeah, man, I... I Maybe I'm being a little too optimistic about this, but I do think that this is going to change, and yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe not the next remaster, but I do think that within a couple, there's going to be a shift of people hearing these stories and being like, oh, hey, this is bad. <laughs> like, we should not do this. And, like, the the thing is, there's not like there's royalties attached or anything, yeah. so it's not, unless there's something that I'm missing, it's not like adding credit is going to affect anybody's, uh, like, money wise right like so it is just literally just give them credit for what they did and it's just that is just the right thing to do so i imagine they want to do the right thing there are times where the right thing is not done but when you get called out on that if you change that in the future good on you and i'm hopeful that this is a weird nintendo decision that can get turned into um an opportunity to, to fix this in the future because it is not that difficult yeah i mean credits in general have been like a thing that have been kind of on the topic for a couple of months now like there was somebody who contributed like a small sting to the God of War Ragnarok music. Like she was an intern and she wasn't in the credits because I, th- I guess either they forgot her or policy was not to include interns or whatever. Then it was like uh, Bruce Straley in the Last of Us TV show, even though he made the game, there were like shots that he designed, used one for one in the show. He was not credited, which they were credited Naughty Dog, not him, but he believes that he, like when there's a created by credit, it should be include him as well. And like, it's all there. There is a right answer, which is to include literally everyone. But is there the right answer and efficiency are not always like mm-hmm. together. I think way too often these companies try to like go to efficiency rather than let's just credit everyone. Let's not worry about it. I do think though on the, the HBO side, like with movie and TV, there yeah, is a money. different base. There is money at play, yes. right? For like credits mean something financially in the long, like for the long term. Whereas with games that, doesn't exist yet will it one day perhaps but it doesn't now so i think that while it doesn't it's like yeah cool then just fucking credit people yeah. you know um but yeah it's it, there's a lot of the conversations i know a ton of people i know people we've even talked to at, at parties and stuff talking about how they weren't credited for things that they did explicitly because they worked on it for two years and then left before the game launched and yeah. then just simply don't get credited it's like what the fuck like that just seems so ass backwards for how it should be and just like just not even just how it should be, just what is right. Right. There have been, like, so I can't talk too much about it. I am working on a game where I'm acting as producer for a lot of things. So I've been thinking, like, I, this is probably a thing I should actually talk to my bosses about. In that game's credits, am I going to be head of USPR or am I going to be, like, producer or both? Or is there going to be a thing that says, that lists the work I do so when I do go somewhere else one day, maybe, I can point to, yeah, I did this thing. Mm-hmm. And, like... 
these are things that should get sorted out beforehand and they don't always, or you just assume they will. Like that one intern with Ragnarok assumed she would be in the credits and just wasn't. And also one of the big problems, and this is like, this is an avoidable problem, but it is a problem where credits are made in such a way that they are not easily editable. They are made as a scrolling thing, recorded as a video file, and then a video file is pasted into the game. Yeah. Which means that to go back and change that means changing a bunch of timing, changing a bunch of stuff, re-recording this thing, then doing an update that is a couple of gigs large for a thing that the publisher probably doesn't think is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, look at like Disney Plus shows, right? Where you, you see the, the runtime of the, the scroll reel, and then it's like, cool, the episode ends. You know you have 10 minutes of credits because there's the fancy credits, then there's the, the white on black, and then there is the... Like all the extra shades, uh, slates, like all the different of the like, dubs, translations, and, like, yeah. and dubs, and all that stuff. Where it's like, yeah, like cool. You can't easily edit some of these things. You can just add though. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just have other stuff. And and when it comes to this story, Metroid Prime, literally just have the old credits as an option yeah. after or next to or go into the options to be able to yeah to get those like games should I just have credits on the main menu. Like yeah. honestly, and that's, and I feel like there's been a trend towards that recently. Yeah. Where I've noticed oftentimes when we're we're playing games, uh, specifically like the Sony ones, um, I will want to go in after I, I beat the game or or while I'm playing to be like, who is that voice actor? Like I want to what voice is that? Like for people that aren't confirmed or like surprise characters or whatever. Um, and I've been really impressed that I would say more often than not, you can access the credits from the jump yeah. uh, for a lot of games. I'm like, that's great. Like, why not? <laughs> that's such an easy win, you know? Yeah, that said, I have a credits complaint because I was watching my uh, my partner play Chain Deco's the other day and she finished it and like the back half of that credits just backer names. Don't put anything important after the backer names. Like, oh, yeah. make the backer names last because people are going to skip that. Yeah. Once you get to the back, once you get to like Johnny whatever, like I'm I'm done. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to read the rest of these backer names. Yeah. Oh, man, it's so complicated, but it all comes down to just, like, be good to people. When you fuck up, just fix it the next time. Mm -hmm. Move forward and fix what the past, if it's possible. I wonder, uh, I would assume Metroid Prime 2 and Metroid Prime 3 are on the way after this. You think so? I would, that's what Grub is saying. I would not doubt him on this one because he was pretty much directly right about this one. I, I would bet they fixed that for those games. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm a little bit more unsure if we're going to get two and three. I don't think they'll be remade. I think they'll just be like slightly remastered. Mm-hmm. Are you like playing through? to the, the Mario 35th anniversary yeah. like collection kind of stuff? Yeah, maybe maybe widescreen added because I believe the Wii version supported the that. The trilogy did, yeah. yeah. Are you playing through remastered? Uh, no, not yet. I, I bought it. I'm, I'm going to touch. I saw some screenshots of like Pendrana Drifts, like that looks amazing. Oh, it's that amazing, looks dude. Genuinely great. I just got there. <laughs> and it's this fucking game, guys. Yeah. Oh, what a year to be alive. Uh, story number four. The Super Mario Brothers movie Super Bowl ad brings back the Super Show rap. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this, Imran? I did. I watched it last night. Let's watch it together, everybody. Oh, we're the Mario Brothers and plumbing's a game. It's too we're good. Like the this is pitch perfect for what I want from this movie. Call us on the double. We're faster than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. Huh. Thank you, Super Mario Bros. It seems like the only thing you haven't drained is my bank account. For super service, call or text Super Mario Bros. Plumbing today at 929-55-MARIO. Or reach us on the World Wide Web at smbplumbing.com. Barrett, can you go to the website, smbplumbing.com? Because it's a real website mm-hmm. that you can go to and just click around and look up at a bunch of fun Mario lore. And I love how much they're like connecting the the games to this world that they're setting up for the movie. Yeah. Where it's like it's clearly like based on the wrecking crew game. <laughs> yeah. Cause like there's a testimonial from Spike who gives yeah. it a one star. It's so good. And then uh, go go to the top right, Barrett, and click on the um, phone number. Come on. The GameCube have intro you, sound is the ringtone. Have you called the phone number? No, I haven't. It's, a, it's Charlie Day as Luigi telling you to, like, call back. They're a little busy right now, basically. It's just great, man. I love this. I love that so far the amount of love and care and reverence for Nintendo and Mario that we've seen in the the trailers and in all the the promotional stuff. I'm just so so impressed. Like I've been week to week blown away by Last of Us and absolutely loving how they're adapting it. 
And we were all so hesitant about the Mario movie uh, for a lot of good reasons, bad reasons, whatever it was. Hearing the music for me was the thing that I'm like, all right, cool. They know what they're doing. The amount of different Mario themes they're actually using because it's a Mario movie. And it, mm -hmm. who would have thought? You just put the music and people are going to like it. Yeah, it's so damn great. Did you recognize the voice of the woman in the commercial? No. It's the woman who played Princess uh, Peach in Princess Toadstool in the cartoon. Holy shit. <laughs> that is incredible. I would wake up. I never watched the Super Show, mm. like, besides just like clips on the internet and stuff, because uh, that was 80s, right? That was 89 was when it started. I remember watching it like 91. Something. Yeah, yeah, so I remember um, in the mid-90s, they took the cartoons from it. So like the Mario World and Mario 3 like cartoon bits and kind of turned them into just like their own yeah. series. And like I watched the hell out of those. I'd wake up at 6 a.m. to watch that shit. Everyone. <laughs> I used to, I remember rushing home because it started at 2 p.m. or no, it started at 3 p.m. So I got out at like 3.10. So like I rush home, catch like the last 10 minutes of a, of Zelda. And then Mario started right after that. What a time, man. What a time. But yeah, like yesterday I watched uh, Titanic um, in, in theaters, which was good Lord. That fucking movie, man, it's perfect. Um, and I got to see the trailer for the Mario movie in theaters, like for the first time. Mm. And it's just. That was so intense. It sounded like we were fucking getting more through reality. <laughs> that was wild. Sorry. <laughs> that was so fucking funny. Um, but yeah, seeing the trailer, I'm like, yo, this movie rips. This movie's going to be fucking awesome. I seem more hesitant. <laughs> I, I think this will be a very good movie. I, how good it is is going to probably like vary from like expectation. I think like it's not going to be like a Pixar quality thing, I think. Above or be below Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2? Better than Sonic 1, easy. I expect it to be better than Sonic 2 as well. Yeah. Because for as much as I fucking love Sonic 2, it's not perfect. And they shy away from sonic music for some godforsaken reason and it's like this just seems like no we're just doing the thing whereas right. sonic was good because they did a couple of the things sonic's problem is that they focus on the humans too often and i think this is not going to have that issue yeah i th i think where this one might fall or falter is they seem to mostly know what they're doing in terms of mario in terms of the license in terms of like calling back to that I think whatever original thing they do that just doesn't feel Mario is mm. going to be the the thing that bothers me in this. Interesting, because like I, there was a poster recently with the piranha plants, but they don't look like piranha plants; they look like these weird robot things. Well, so I think that it's just like a training course. Okay, that might do. That yeah, because like yeah. we also do the fireballs, but they're not fireballs; they're just like like rubber circles. Or okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. All right, that that might be fine. I'm though. with you though. I get it. Where it's like. We know what it's supposed to be and feel like. So if it's awful, it's like, whoa, this is wrong. But right. so far, I feel like even the vibe here, like this is so not Mario from the games. Like see, seeing Mario and Luigi kind of like rapping together and like dancing and stuff. It's like somehow feels perfectly authentic while being unlike anything we've ever seen before from the games. But it weirdly does harken back to the old cartoons and stuff yeah. that like I, I grew up with. Like that's always been part of the Mario lore to me. So do you think they reference the old movie? I mean, they already are with the... um the title treatment uh, of everything, like the this April, whatever. It's like, it's the same font from the, the Mario movie. Like, I think mm. I, there is a love and a reverence and an understanding of Mario, the, the whole entire universe that, yeah, I think we're definitely going to get some, at the, the very least, cheeky nods to it. But I, I wouldn't ex be surprised if we get, like, some explicit references. Mm. Okay. This is the thing that I, I actually like to hear from you and Barrett. What do you think the post credits for this game or this movie will be? I mean, it's limitless potential, right? Mm -hmm. like, it is. It really is. The, the thing that I'm so impressed by is how much they seem to be packing into this, like Smash Bros-esque references of the Donkey Kong fight yeah. and Donkey Kong, period. Seeing the Yoshi herd that looks very much like the intro to Melee, mm -hmm. getting a couple shots there, getting the uh, Rainbow Road, Mario Kart in general. It's like all of that stuff. We saw Cat Mario. Like They're doing so much that it really makes me question like what aren't they going to do in the movie that they can and Luigi's Mansion even like all that type of stuff there's so many vibes yeah. there was the Luigi's Mansion reference in this commercial when, yeah. he, when he goes like this that's the Luigi's Mansion it's great yeah it's I mean that's the thing is like I feel like predicting the post credits it's like the most exciting thing would be like 
building out a universe somehow of like we're gonna get to Smash Brothers, so, we're gonna get to something. Like that. I think that's kind of what they're gonna do. Not not quite Smash Brothers. I think I might have said this on a KFTD like three fucking years ago. <laughs> but I think the post credits is going to be Donkey Kong and Cranky with like something's happening to Donkey Kong Island, and then setting up that movie. Yeah. Which they've already like started talking about doing a Donkey yeah, Kong movie. Yeah, you don't movie, cast so. Cranky and not assume that there's going to be a Donkey Kong movie at some point. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it, back in November 3rd, 2021, IGN wrote, Donkey Kong movie starring Seth Rogen reportedly in the works. So I, I, I think that's what would be, if they do a post credit scene, that's not just like a, a fun little like goof or something uh, akin to like uh, uh, Ferris Bueller or something like that. Um, I think it would be setting up the, the DK movie specifically. Yeah. I don't think they go anything past there. Yeah, just so a King K. Roll shadow. Oh, <laughs> who, do they, who do they cast as King K. Roll, Imran? Hmm. Ron Perlman. Oh, shit. Fuck. Okay. God damn, you just nailed that <laughs> shit. Holy God, that was that, awesome. That is so, so funny. Now, uh, I'm going to tell you something that's going to hurt you, mm. all right? You're not going to be able to stop thinking about this, and it's going to break you for the rest of your life. Blessing has a theory of how they can ruin this franchise. Oh, no. What if the post credits was them introducing another Mario brother? Oh no! Like not, <laughs> not, not a Wario and not a what? Like no. hmm. <laughs> another Mario. No, because I, I feel like you have Miyamoto with, like standing there, yeah, like illumination, going like, "No, you can't do this." But yeah, that that would that would be like introducing like a fourth like Huey Dewey Louie. Like, exactly. Yeah. No. 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 You no. can't. <laughs> I do think Wario or Waluigi will be in that movie somewhere. In the movie, or maybe that that could be a post-credit something, too. Yeah. I think it's Donkey Kong. I feel like that is yes. the, the easiest set up, and like they already have the world and like have the style of it all. So a God, lot of I'm people so uh, sharing love for Ron Funches in the chat for <laughs> King K. Rule. I think if you're going to cast Ron Funches, he should be K. Lumsey from DK64. Mm. He's the really big... Uh, 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 alligator that's uh, imprisoned because he's he doesn't want to fight the Kongs. Now here's the thing, everybody. If we got the Super Mario Bros. Super Show rap for the Don Kong movie, we're getting the DK sixty four oh, rap, and it's yeah. gonna be awesome. And that means we got to get the whole crew together, which means Lanky Kong, baby. <laughs> oh Lord, oh Lord. Story number five: Dead Island Two is coming out a week early. Wow. Uh, they tweeted out, you asked for it, you got it. Dead Island 2 went gold, and it's coming out a week early. See you in hell. Uh, hell A. Oh, hell A. Because it's, fa- it's famous island in Los Angeles. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> On April 21st, 2023. Um, wow. Pretty rare that a game gets bumped up. They, because Jedi Survivor got bumped to the day of Dead Island. Uh. They're like, well... We got to do something. So they moved it up one week. That makes sense. What is your faith in Dead Island? Not high. Yeah. This What's been, your interest in it? I Mostly morbid fascination. Like, mm-hmm. I, I thought Dead Island 1 was great. Didn't like Riptide. This thing has been bounced around so much. Like, this is the definition of development hell. I, I, they've been also, like, so cagey about showing it. Like, I feel like they've not shown much of this game at all beyond, like, a couple of CG trailers and maybe some small gameplay snippets here and there. Snow Mike Mike was watching a um, showcase they did for the game that was like 30 minutes long and like bizarrely like 20 minutes of it was live action footage of somebody like playing the game <laughs> on a, a TV. And I was like, look at him like, what is this? He's like, yo, that's the gameplay. And it's like somebody on a couch playing <laughs> and you yeah. just see the screen. But it wasn't like off-screen footage of gameplay it was like there was a narrative going on in this showcase it was very very bizarre i i think if you just make another dead island game like a game where four people are on an island using melee weapons fighting zombies i would wonder what does what actually separates this or what improves from dying light one or two and they've yet to answer that question for me and i feel like that's by name alone it should do okay i don't know that it's going to like it's worth the the hype they're they're pretending is around it at the moment. Yeah. Do you think it's going to be better or worse than Saints Row? Probably better. Okay. Hey. I I was look, really looking forward to Saints Row, and I found that game pretty disappointing. Yeah. Uh, story number six: Psychonaut 2's making of documentary is now available to everyone for free. This comes from Adam Bankhurst at IGN. Double Fine Psych Odyssey, the thirty-two part, twenty-plus hour documentary that chronicles the development of Psychonauts 2 is now available for free and everyone on YouTube. 
Double Fine Psych Odyssey was created by Two Player Productions and Double Fine and follows a similar and equally as wonderful documentary that was released for Double Fine's Broken Age. It's an extensive, very rare look behind the curtain of game development, and you can check it out now. Quote, 10 years after the release of their flagship video game Psychonauts, Double Fine Productions returns to its most celebrated franchise with Psychonauts 2. Now, facing the pressure to produce a worthy sequel, the studio must confront overly ambitious designs, poor morale, technical challenges, and financial woes, all during a turbulent span of time for the world. Double Fine Psych Odyssey is the direct continuation of the acclaimed series Double Fine Adventure and offers even deeper insight into the passion, humor, and heartbreak of video game development. The team at Double Fine also noted that Double Fine Psych Odyssey took six years to make and was created from thousands of hours of footage wow wow i don't know when i'm gonna have time to watch this but like double fine adventure was like legitimately one of my favorite things about game development like documentary books whatever period so i'm definitely going to make time at some point soon to watch this people if you ever not even if you're curious if you like video games you should watch these things because you don't really know how video game development works it is I saw someone reacting to this in a way of like, oh, it's they took so long an iteration. I'm surprised that like they were allowed to take that long. Like, iteration is most of what these games are. There is mostly I had this idea, oh wait, let's work on this over and over and over and over again. And this actually I think people who wonder why game prices are going up, they should watch these documentaries because they go up because these games take forever to make because of these reasons. Because games are getting bigger and more complex, because there's things that you pay people for that you wouldn't think are part of game development. Like, uh, you go into a room and you play Breath of the Wild with some people to figure out ideas for how you're going to iterate on your ideas that are similar or whatever. Like, those are things that get involved in the game development budget that keep going up. Mm -hmm. And I think once you watch these things, once you see how a game is made from even even 30 hours of a six-year process, you start getting a better idea of this is not as simple as I thought it was. You don't just go in with a fully, with a, one idea fully formed. You go in with a thousand ideas kind of like 25% formed. Yeah. And, and it's cool. I've watched the first five episodes cause I'm a big Psychonauts <laughs> fan and a uh, big Tim Schafer fan as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, the first episode, which I think is like a little over an hour or maybe like, or maybe it's like roughly 40 minutes. It's all about them looking back at the development of Psychonauts 1. And so like that first episode is almost like a mini documentary within the entire Psychonauts 2 process of like looking back at what the development was like for a game back in the early 2000s and them having to kind of be very real and upfront about the process of all of that. And it was like really fascinating to, to see how different it was back then and then to kind of see slowly the journey beginning in 2015 of what they were going to do with uh, Psychonauts 2 and uh, before they even get to that they focus a little bit on the VR game Rhombus of Ruin and it's interesting to see like how they have to have discussions on talent being pulled back and forth and all of that stuff uh, between projects when you have uh, a, a team of people working on a couple of different things and, and all that stuff it's a it's a very even five episodes in, it's a very good insight to the human side of development. Um, and so, yeah, I highly recommend uh, checking it out. Um, and in the middle of it, I think in their playlist, they also have their uh, Fortnite documentary in that playlist as well, which is like a cool concept where um, everybody on the team kind of uh, is able to pitch ideas for, for new games and stuff like that. And they take two weeks to like develop some of these ideas, which is really cool. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I yeah. recommend it. Fucking so cool. And like, damn, what a ridiculously ambitious project. Like two player productions have, has done such great work, but for them to put out a uh, 20 plus hour yeah. edited documentary, like that's per, from thousands of hours of footage down to this. It's like, that is, um, it's a choice, you know, <laughs> um, and I, I hope that it pays off for them because I, I love that they're showing as much. I mean, they must be <laughs> like, yeah. like this is truly behind the scenes from uh, for over a very long period of time. So I think that there's going to be a lot of insight to be gained from this. But uh, that is also, again, a, a choice. <laughs> yeah. More developers should do that. They should have like documentary or documentarian studios or whatever groups in their studios uh, showing what the game development process is like. I understand it's very secretive. I understand that there's a lot of publishers who don't like the idea of seeing the parts where they mess up or the parts where decisions are made that are like compromised or whatever, but that's product creation that, that more people should know games do not just come out. They are made. Yeah, absolutely. 
And Imran, games just take so long to come out. So long. But if I want to know what's coming to Mom and Grab Shops today, where would I look? The official list of upcoming software across each and every... Uh, wait, official list of upcoming software across each and every platform as listed by the Kind of Funny Games Daily Show host each and every weekday. Yeah. There we go. Out today, nothing, guys. Absolutely nothing. All of that for nothing, all right? New dates for you, though. Echoes of Mana is ending service on May 15th. And C-Smash VRS announced for PSVR 2. That's a lot of letters. Demo coming on March 23rd. Let's see. Let's do a little reader mail, all right? Nua J Saez says, Please help my friends and I settle a debate. I was playing Destiny 2 with some secondary school friends, and they wanted my opinion on the question of, is The Legend of Zelda an RPG franchise? I said no, because it strikes me as more of an open-world action game, but two of my friends insist that it's an RPG. We eventually concluded that Club Penguin is the greatest MMORPG of all time, and somehow did not come to a conclusion as to whether or not Zelda is an RPG. I love that. Uh, Thanks for all the lovely work you do, and shout out to the left smoke machine and the left one only. (laughs) Yeah, shout out to the left smoke machine. Is The Legend of Zelda an RPG? Genres are bullshit. <laughs> I'm right there. <laughs> it's like the actual answer. Uh, maybe. I think you have to start by defining what an RPG is, which is more difficult. Uh, is an RPG literally a role-playing game? Yes, then we have a very broad answer for most games. Yeah. Like Tomb Raider's an RPG at that point. Uh, is it like level-ups and uh, stat numbers? Then... No, but then Call of Duty is. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, there's a, there are ways that you can get Legend of Zelda as an RPG, but it's defining RPG in such a way that makes it, that you define it as Legend of Zelda, essentially. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's so many elements that are, are quote unquote, uniquely Zelda yeah. that it, it is kind of its own thing. But I will say that I have never thought of The Legend of Zelda as an RPG. I have always thought of it as an action RPG. Mm. I do think that certain iterations in the uh, franchise are a little more RPG-esque, Adventures of Link, I would say. But that one also is a little more action-based yeah. than the others. But like, I feel like I would call Zelda, the original Legend of Zelda an action RPG. And I think I would call Ocarina of Time an action RPG. Breath yeah. of the Wild, an action RPG. But like, I would, I would say... Final Fantasy VII Remake. We can agree that's an RPG, right? Mm-hmm. I would say that's more of an action game than yeah. Zelda is. Mm-hmm. But, like, you also get an instance battles. Instance battles are not necessarily, like, free-roaming ones. But I, even then, so I would say that Final Fantasy... And again, genres are stupid. So it's like yes. trying to fit things into buckets is silly. But just for the sake of conversation, like, I look at Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VII Remake, any of that, as RPGs. Might have a little of action flair to it, but they're RPGs. Kingdom Hearts, I would say, action RPG. They have a lot of RPG elements there. Mm. But like, I feel like there's something about the combat that is uh, more one-to-one. Like, I hit a button, a sword swang <laughs> that both uh, Zelda and Kingdom Hearts have. That, mm. that to me, is when, when I hear action RPG or when I think of those two games, that's the genre that pops into my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Nintendo's own, they, they say action adventure for Zelda. Do I actually have that page open? Because I was re- reserving that game recently. Uh, no, I closed that one page. Great. Uh, but they, they do refer to Zelda as action RPG, specifically Breath of the Wild. I think overhead action is what they call the non-3D ones. Mm. So they, they don't use the term RPG, but I think they only use that for like Xenoblade, specifically, and games like that. Yeah. Which makes sense. Like, yeah. I, I feel like the RPG can be a turnoff to people right. that don't want that, you know? And, I like, mean, uh, Zelda could be something different that is a bit more mainstream than... And, again, Zelda's never been the most mainstream franchise. The Switch has changed that uh, to the point of how well it sells and the adoption rate of uh, Breath of the Wild specifically. But even seeing the success of Link's Awakening and um, the, the ports of Skyward Sword, like, I feel like... Nintendo understands that it has something with Zelda, and obviously Zelda is one of the most iconic gaming brands of all time. So it's like, I feel like we're finally at a point where all that's meeting together, and Nintendo doesn't want to alienate anybody. And I do think that the letters RPG are very specifically speaking to a group. Yeah. I want to look up something real quick. I wonder, have they ever referred to Starfield as an RPG? Not Nintendo, obviously, uh, Bethesda. 
Yeah, they must have, right? Like, because I feel like the phrase like Bethesda's next, yeah, open world RPG, like, yeah, they call it a role playing game directly. So, like, I I can see why Nintendo gets a, like a little iffy about that, but I also think they like the idea of genres being named for their games. Mm-hmm. So, like, Zelda like is a thing. Yeah, and when you ask, for me, the genre is for a Zelda game is the you go to dungeons, you have a new weapon or item in X dungeon or whatever, and Breath of the Wild kind of breaks that genre anyway. But, like, it's not that Zelda's an RPG, it's that Beyond Good and Evil is a Zelda-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, now it's time for You're Wrong, where you can go to kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong and let us know what we got wrong as we got it wrong. Um... Nano uh, adds a little context here regarding Barrett's points on Hi-Fi Rush selling well on Steam. It was reported that it sold better than Forspoken on Steam, coming in at number 8 on that week's game charts on Steam, while Forspoken came in at number 10. So that is, uh, I think, important context for like looking at the sales numbers of what's actually possible, even, uh, of where Hi-Fi Rush might end up hitting next month. Um... It's also a cheaper game, too, so that might affect it in ways. Nana Webby is not the fourth of Huey, Dewey, and Louie. She is her own separate character. <laughs> and she's better than them. <laughs> yes. Watch the new DuckTales. Woo! Um, all right, cool. That is all we got wrong, because we are perfect human beings. Hell yeah. Me and Imran. Um, so perfect, in fact. Wait, is that right? Are you coming in on Wednesday? I am coming here on Wednesday. Hell yeah. All right, well, everybody, guess what? This week's host got a doozy for you tomorrow we have blessing and tam wednesday we have tam and imran oh hell yeah thursday we have blessing and me and friday we have blessing and michael hyam greg miller having a bit of a family emergency so um we are giving him the space and time that he needs right now um but we got the we got the squad we got the a team (laughs) coming through for this entire week so stay tuned for all of that imran thank you for coming through where could people find you uh, you can find me on Twitter at ImranZOMG, as long as Twitter is last, to the fuck knows at this point. Uh, you can find my Patreon at P-R-O-S-E-K-H-A-N-S.com. That's pros, cons, a name that I did not think about when I had to say out loud when I'd signed it. Gotta love it. Uh, until next time, it's been our pleasure to serve you.